what I ended up doing, I have a nice little stereo system in my basement and I acquired a large like ballet style mirror that I installed uh-huh. in my basement and I turn up my music really loud and I just like go for it. I dance. I just oh, dance and dance and, it. and it's dance therapy nice. and it really it really helps. And I feel like I'm at a show, you know, and that that's I, amazing. Yeah. That's I love amazing. That. So it's, it, that it might be amazing. a little, it might be a little weird, I guess, no. but okay. No, <laughs> no you talk, talking, you talking to us. Okay. <laughs> Welcome, fam. This is Courtney Russell Jr., and I'm here with my co-host, Emily Brocker. Welcome to Humanize. We are two Americans with totally different backgrounds and life experiences. We're coming together on this podcast to dive right at the heart of the three things that shut down tough conversations about race, culture, power, and ego. The stories you are about to hear are meant to humanize those deeply involved in social justice. Welcome to the work, y'all. Let's get it. Welcome back to Humanize, everyone. We're so excited to have you here. Courtney and I are here with Katrina Miller. Hi, Katrina. Hello. Hello, thank, Katrina. Thank you, hey. <laughs> thank you for joining us. I am so thrilled to have you here. So Katrina is a super amazing guest. I heard about the film that she's creating that we're going to tell you about in a second. And I said, I need to meet her and we need to have her on this show and people need to hear what she is working on because it's fantastic. So Katrina is a filmmaker and she's the owner of Black Cat Video Production and she's been working as a a filmmaker and producer behind the lens on a huge range of films for nonprofits, including working with museums to educate through their exhibits. Um, She's worked at, um, you know, Red Rocks and Boulder Theater. And uh, in 2020, tough year for being out there and making films. She used her time to create short films that document the trials and triumphs that we've all endured since last March. And now this is the the part that I'm just super excited to focus on today. She spent the last two and a half years directing the film production of This Is, in brackets, Not Who We Are. So this is a film that takes a look at a city, Boulder, where I live and where Uh, everyone on this call is nearby. It's considered to be the happiest place in America. This is, uh, you know, what the studies have have shown. But when you really look at it, uh, you'll see that the majority of the population is white and unaware or indifferent to the fact that many people of color in this community are not content because they feel invisible, tokenized, and even harassed in, in her words. So this film is not only meant to bring awareness, but also to give some practical suggestions of how this town, Boulder is kind of a, a proxy for progressive towns as we as we talk today, or maybe all all towns, we can we can discuss that, of how this town can start to become the happy city it's been cited to be. And she strongly believes that media plays an important uh, role to inform and educate. So Katrina, so excited to have you here. We'll obviously leave the trailer on our social media so that everyone as they watch can can go and watch that too. So welcome to Humanize. <laughs> thank Yo. you so, so much. Oh. I'm thrilled to be here. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So what we're really going to focus on today is basically racism in a progressive town. Does that sound like the right 
the right context. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Sounds like uh, what, we're, what we're dealing with the subject of our film here in Boulder. So just a light topic to kick <laughs> off this morning. <laughs> <You know>. <laughs> right. <laughs> awesome. So how are you both doing this morning before we, we dive into how we're going to do things today? I mean, I'm celebrity sighting over here, humanized, you know, um, I feel really honored to be here with um, this filmmaker, this visionary. Um, she is using her art to push social activism, which I love, you know, her passion. And so the utmost respect, I really appreciate you. And just we're in the same vein as humanized, we're going to switch it up. And I'm so excited that you'll be able to do your thing and take us, take it over, humanize and interview us. And bring out, bring us into your world and ask us um, how we feel about certain clips that we saw and we were blessed to see and with your film. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly not a celebrity, but thanks for that. That's that's kind of how I feel on this show with you guys, you know. Um, so so yeah, I think it's I think it's a big deal. And uh, any opportunity, like I'm really excited for the opportunity to talk about the film and that you guys see the importance of it and just the bigger picture. It's bigger than Boulder. So thanks for having me. How has it been putting this together in 2020? Like, is it been bizarre? Like, how's that been? Yeah, putting it together in 2020 has been uh, interesting, you know, because we definitely started the production of this film before 2020 mm. happened. But now there's so many other things to work with. Like, I'm also a mother of two very small kids. They're in elementary school. So mm -hmm. it's been really hard to try to figure out taking care of them, but also taking care of my business. And now I have to rely more on babysitters to help. So that's been a challenge, as well as you know, this film had a certain trajectory when it started, but then in 2020, so many things were happening that were visible and just kept happening and kept happening. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know what, we need to expand the story and add on to the story. So that's been it. It's almost feels like, like it's not going to end and it's not, this is just kind of a piece right. uh, where we're trying to bring awareness, but yeah. So those have been some challenges, just kind of where do we stop <laughs> and where do I find the time between being a mom and trying to be engaged in other activist groups and, you know, um, also trying to have self-care with myself and spending time with my family. So, so it's been, it's been a challenge, but uh, now's the time. So I'm up for it. Has anything wow. particularly helped you balance all those things or how, how do you take care of yourself? Okay. I'll, t I'll tell you the, I'll tell you the truth. Okay. So, so okay. you mentioned that I'm a Red Rocks uh, director there and that's been a part of my life for seven years, concert videography, concert production. Amazing. And, yes. And I love the, the excitement and all the, uh, the fun, the people, the music. I love the scene. And it's been nice as a mom to have this job because otherwise I don't really get to be in that scene because I'm being a responsible mother, you know? Uh, so now I get to go to four or five shows a week. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and they're good shows too. You know, that was my life. My life is probably going to change moving forward after this film. But when that left my life, it actually left this big hole where I missed the loud music and I missed being able to feel involved and really a part of it by just like cutting to the different scenes and telling that story through the cameramen on the big screen. Like I really missed that. So what I ended up doing 
I have a nice little stereo system in my basement and I acquired a large like ballet style mirror that I installed uh-huh. in my basement and I turn up my music really loud and I just like go for it. I dance. I just oh, dance and dance and, it. and it's dance therapy yes. and it really it really helps. And I feel like I'm at a show, you know, and that that's I, amazing. Yeah. That's I love amazing. That. <laughs> so it's, it, that it might be amazing. a little, it might be a little weird, I guess, no. but okay. No, <laughs> no you talking, you talking to us. Okay. <laughs> that's brilliant. How you recreate. I mean, for people who don't know, Red Rocks is like this massive outdoor amphitheater where they have, you know, it's like built into the red rocks and you're under the, the stars. And so it's a pretty epic experience to be missing. But I love, I love hearing how you, you filled that gap that hole. <laughs> so Dance tell therapy. us how, tell us a bit about your story before we kind of turn it over to you to, to discuss this topic of today. Tell us like, you know, where you're from and how you ended up being here and working on this, this film and speaking to us today. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I grew up in a small town called Widefield. It's uh, basically in Colorado Springs, but it's way south. Like it's maybe about 20 minutes from Pueblo. That's where I grew up and it was a military town and it was pretty diverse. My mother raised me and my three siblings as a, a single mother for most of the time. And she has been such an amazing influence in my life. She is. A, she was an immigrant from Panama. My father is African American. She's an immigrant from Panama, Afro Latina, and she worked so hard to always keep a roof over our head and to make sure that we had everything that we needed growing up. Um, she was always in school. She always had a great job or maybe three or four great jobs. You know, current working her way up through the medical fields uh, to be a nurse practitioner. And just uh, watching her and observing her, me and my siblings, uh, it really built in this work ethic in us and just knowing that anything is achievable. You know, mm-hmm. watching our mother with brown skin and an accent, you know, even winning awards in the community for things that she's done in nursing uh, was really amazing for for me and my siblings to see. And if you look at all of us, you know, we've all become entrepreneurs and just engaging our community in in some way. So, yeah, I really like to give some of that credit to my mom and also all the Mm -hmm. times we used to we used to draw together and she'd really encourage me to uh, to pursue art and everything. So, yeah, so I'll I'll Uh, say that. That's that's amazing. Right. Uh, um, entrepreneurship and then, is big. Thank you. Thank just thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. That was awesome. It gave me <laughs> it just gave me chills. I appreciate you. Oh good. Good. You, you know, and it was interesting because when I was in uh, you know, going through school, I always kind of kept a camera with me and I was documenting mm-hmm. everything that I would see uh just in the school and whatnot. I didn't really like yearbook because it was constricting. I wanted to tell the stories I wanted to tell with the people that I wanted to tell in it, which was it's actually kind of an interesting story. I did join yearbook. It was my senior year of high school. I'll never forget this. And I had done a a spread, a layout. And my teacher comes up to me, the supervisor of this and says, there's a problem with this. What, what, what's the problem? Do you see the problem? I kept looking. I was like, I can't see the problem. (laughs) And eventually she said, everybody on these pages, they are, they're like black or Mexican or just everybody's like, 
like, you know, a person of color. I'm like, okay. I turn the page and everybody here is white. I turn the page and everybody here is white. So I just, (laughs) I was like, so, so, so what's the problem? I mean, I, I, I wasn't thinking about that. It wasn't my intention. It was just, oh, I like these pictures. And that's what I put out there. You know, when other students did it, it wasn't really an issue. But when I did it, uh, pointed out that, oh, you know, you're only picking students of color. And honestly, looking back, that was kind of a positive. But yeah, yeah, she didn't say anything else after that. And I looked at the yearbook, the layout stayed as it was. But, you know, that was really interesting. And maybe kind of the first taste of what the challenges that I might face in the media, you know, as far as the type of stories that I wanted to tell. But to move forward from that, you know, I came to see you and I went to journalism school. I think I got a really great education there, um, which propelled me to get decent work and to build my business. You know, being a student at CU Boulder uh, and just living here, and especially from a place that was a lot more diverse, I noticed that it would be days between seeing another African-American person here. And I felt isolated and I wondered how I would have a life, how I would make friends or maybe have a boyfriend one day, uh, just because I felt so on the outside of everything living in Boulder. So it's just how I've always kind of felt living here. And then It was interesting because it was about two and a half years ago, I met some filmmakers who were looking for a videographer for a film they wanted to make about race. It was just that, that broad. And I met with them and they said, um, they found out about my resume, that I do this and this and that, you know, I've I've taught, I've mentored, I direct, you know, the the list goes on in the different places I've been. And they said, you know what, do you want to be a director on this with us? because it sounds like you have all the skills and all the information, then this is something that you've wanted to make. So let us be in a supporting role of you. And uh, that was phenomenal for a thousand reasons. Um, And that team is Landlocked Films. That's uh, Barrett and John. Um, They're incredible people. So That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. Wow. Wow. And then what's the the timeline for, for getting this film out? Summer. We're hoping the summer. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it just kind of got to the point. So many things kept happening and we had to put a cutoff point. And so many people are now emailing us, telling us their stories and all the stories oh, are compelling. Like it's, it's, it's really hard to pick and choose like what's going to make it for this. But we always have to keep in mind, um, you know, that the film is kind of boulders, just like a, a microcosm of what's happening in the, the large scale. So we're trying to find stories that can yeah. really illustrate that. Uh, so yeah. Well, let's dive into bits of the film and, and explore that a little bit with you. Yes. Does that sound good? Let's do it. Well, we give the reins okay. of human eyes over to the director and styles of Ms. Katrina Miller. We appreciate you so much. <laughs> and um, do your thing. We're here. Well, thank okay. you for joining me today on Human Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> So I understand we have some clips from the film that uh, were they're from the trailer that we'd like to share and, and to talk about a little bit. Okay, so the clip that you are about to hear, it's actually the first scene in the trailer that sets everything up. And you see kind of one of the main subjects of our film, Zaid, have a confrontation with the police in front of his apartment where he was picking up trash. 
I had a draw to Boulder. Boulder is a beautiful city. I came to Nairobi University to begin my life. You have a dangerous object in your hand and you're failing to put it down. Put it down. You're being detained. Your hand is on your weapon and you're going to shoot me. There's a reason why I didn't comply, you know, and it was because I had not committed a crime. I told you many times to put it down. And you're holding a gun. Put it down. And you're holding a gun. That clip just lights a fire under me every time. Zade's a hero. And as, as far as I'm concerned, Zade's a hero for, and it's just for standing up for himself, something as simple as that. For me, it brings up, and I told this to Zade when we interviewed him, it brings up a situation that I was in with my children, the car line at their school. Sometimes when you're in that line, you're double parked against other cars that are parked on the street as you're moving ahead in the line. And there was a day the police officer was watching all of us do this, uh, you know, move forward and kind of double park. He gets out of his car and comes to me of all the parents and says, you're double parked right now. This is illegal. You need to move. And I say, well, this is the procedure that we're supposed to follow for the school. These were the instructions we were given for the pickup line. He's like, well, what you're doing is illegal. And I said, you have to move. And he starts pointing at me. In my mind, this is where my mind goes. I think about Sandra Bland. And I think about how something so innocent could turn into me getting arrested there at my children's school. And okay, all right. I get my car and I go all the way to the back of the line and I'm watching and I see the cop approach another car. And it was a, a white mother that was in front of me. And I see them talking and they're actually talking back and forth, roll down my window. And I hear her say a lot of the things that I said, this is a procedure of the school. This is what we're supposed to do. Well, you need to talk to the school then saying things that I probably would never find myself saying. And he walked away and she stayed where she was in the line. And I wish that I, in some aspects, were the person to have him walk away, to stand up and say whatever the right words to make him walk away and to understand that I belonged there. But um, I was afraid because I'm there to pick up my children and I don't mm -hmm. want to create a scene for them or for myself. I don't want to end up a victim. And these are things that I think about. Even when I'm driving down the street, I'm not speeding, but I see a cop car. I'm still like, slow down anyway, just do the check. And I told this to Zaid that I was a very very moved by what he did. And I think he's a hero because there's, I feel like, like I couldn't in that situation, but the fact that he did, and he said, he told me he was just, hey, he's basically fed up, fed up and, and felt like mm. he needed to. And he, he doesn't have those things like the children and all that stuff. And so it was his time to do that, which makes sense. And I wonder how, what your relationship Courtney and Emily with the police has been, or if you've ever found yourself in situations like this, or just, you know, what that clip brings up for you. You know, where, where, uh, where I was raised, you know, you have a different type of relationship with the police than I'm making an assumption that Emily would have, you know? Um, and so you, your question was, what is my relationship with the police? Right. And just, just, yeah. 
yeah, like your, your relationship, like your feelings. As I gave that example of how I'm not speeding, but I step on the brakes anyway, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's weird because it's, it's, it's knowing that not all police are bad, but not knowing which one is pulling me over at that time. Not exactly. which one I'm, I, I'm encountering at that time, you know? Back then, when I didn't do as much research as I do now into the systems of um, police and um, criminal justice and um, the legal system, it, it always felt to me as though the police had a very difficult job, you know, and, and that it is what it is. You know, like I like to play chess in my mind a lot and, and I'm very defensive in my thought. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about when someone asks me as a black man, my relationship with the police, you expect me to say, fuck the police. All right, cool. Police were created, were were made to catch slaves. So that system is inherently one that's flawed, right? However, the police also, some of them have the type of heart that they do want to serve and protect. Now, can you imagine going to work every day as an enemy in a community that you're sworn to serve and protect? So every encounter could be your last, you know? And so I like to, that's how I like to play. So my encounter with the police is, you know, bro, let me tell you, I know your situation is messed up. I know how you feel, but I need you to understand that as a black man, I need you to know that we need to have a conversation right now. This is how I'm thinking. So I'm trying to play mental jujitsu with this police officer as he pulls me over. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and um, even though I'm right or wrong or mm-hmm. whatever case may be, I need to see in his eyes because that's fear. However, the situation is he's fearful with the gun and I'm fear and, and, and fearful with the whole force of the criminal justice behind him. So he can literally do what he wants to mm-hmm. me in my community and go home at night. And I may not go home at night. So this is all the things that I'm thinking about. So my relationship with the police is one of trying to understand. Anger, when I think about last last year, understanding systems that were in place to make their job difficult, understanding systems that were in place to make it so that I'm disregarded as a black man. It's just like I, I do a lot of thinking during those times. So it's a real convoluted question that you ask, like, what's my relationship with the police officer? So, yeah, hopefully I answered you. You did. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to hear mm-hmm. uh, what Emily's perspective is and what she's had to say, what she'd feel yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel like my my relationship with the police is kind of what it was like when I was in high school, like when I was like sneaking around and trying to like, you know, we I went to a boarding school for high school. We'd, we'd sneak around on campus and like, you know, drink in the math wing or have a cigarette on the roof or something like that. And it was like, uh-oh, hope you don't get caught because then we're going to be in trouble. Like that's kind of the extent of my concern with the police. You know, like if I'm speeding or like going over the speed limit and I see a cop car, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to slow down, but I'm also going to like act cool. Like it's like nothing, um, nothing pretty much past that kind of high school. I hope I didn't do something wrong kind of concern. And I mean, I can count the number of times I've had an encounter with cops on like one hand, you know, like I just, it's all, it's like not a, it's not on my radar, you know, and it doesn't take any mental energy from me. And like, you know, now as there is more awareness of better ways to fund protection of the community, that's definitely on my mind more and more of like, 
we want our communities to be better and I want everyone to be safer. And I think that we can do that better, but it's more like this, like, I guess it kind of feels like from an outsider perspective, because it's not, you know, like we, on our episode we're releasing tomorrow, like it's not something that impacts my kids, you know, like it's not, it's something that I am concerned about for my community, but it's a pretty uncharged, you know, like, I don't have to, I don't feel like I have to defend myself. And I think it would probably be easier for me to talk back, you know, like not to the extreme that you see these, (laughs) I'm thinking of this clip of the young white guy, like swearing at the police, you know, obviously not that, but um, yeah. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And your honesty there. Like I realize that the question is very, broad but yeah. the the point of it is just to kind of bring light to the disparities like within the question and it's not even about how people are necessarily treated by the police but it's like what we have internalized and what kind of goes mm. on in our mind there's something a lot different that happens with you when there's an interaction with a police officer than with me or with Courtney because there's a lot of other yeah. uh, things we're thinking about and, and that history of how the police were even formed and created is is a part of that too you know so um yeah can you can you all share a little bit more about the history of how police were created? I mean, during slavery, you know, um, they had to figure out a way, um, especially during the revolts and things like that nature, to find um, and catch slaves. Um, you had individuals, mm-hmm. also too, you had individuals who were free, but police officers were used to bring them back down to the South in order to enslave them. Um, because up North, you were free, but down South, that was a weird, it was like you live in the two Americas. And so police officers were, gen- were literally used to catch um, slaves, take them back for economic reasons to their plantation. And so the community they were protected and serving was the community of individuals that looked like me and Katrina, you know? And so they were mm-hmm. using, uh, using us as um, the economic means to an end for the slave master. And so it was, we were audacious to be a Nat Turner, you know, like that was something that if you did, you know, your whole family may, may die, you know? So police were used as as that enforcers of an economic system back in the day. Mm -hmm. So that, that's, that's why like even freedom, you know, like for Emily, you, you said something that uh, hit me as, as powerful because you, when you're truly free, you don't have to be distracted by what can happen to you because you're living in a situation that's going to benefit you. Now, mm. when you're when you're not really free, but you're living in something like even the Constitution says three fifths of a man. With that mm. being said, with that being said, they're not breaking the Constitution because people of color are not whole individuals, not are not whole men and women. And so at the end of the day, if we say we're upholding the Constitution, they are in theory. They are upholding mm-hmm. the Constitution to the point where they're following the letter of the law because we're not viewed as humans. And so police, and we, we always talk about this, Emily, every system, but since we're talking about in this question, the, the law enforcement system and criminal justice and all of that and mass incarceration, that system was built to protect and serve who it was supposed to protect and serve. Everyone else is just collateral damage. And so that's where we mm. are. 
Yeah, the freedom that that freedom piece really strikes me because when I was listening to your response, I was I was struck that your your thought process it seemed to be, and I don't know if it's simultaneously, but like first you were trying to seek to understand and then kind of navigate the situation. Like that's that's a lot going on in one moment when I'm just like, I hope I don't get in trouble. Like that's a really different extent of that's energy that I get to then figure out other things in my life, you know, whatever that is. That's a, a really important source of capital, you know, of energy that um, is freed up. So we're talking about liberation. It's kind of interesting of how many levels of, of liberation mm-hmm. there are. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We have another clip. The next clip is at a city council meeting where you're going to hear a man named Jamal speak. He is a business owner in Boulder. He owns a barbershop in Boulder and it was at a location in Valmont. And he was basically told he needed to move out so that a wine bar could be there. And, you know, if in my opinion, in my opinion, having the barbershop there is a lot more important for our community than to have another wine bar because this is a way for African-American people to feel welcome and to actually have a place for them to go uh, to to get their hair done. I don't know, to just take care of something so basic and to um, have community Mm. and whatnot. But I guess just as a business owner myself to watch another person get pushed out for no apparent reason. It's just, it's alarming to me. So you will hear Jamal at the city council meeting and what he says in regards to the situation. I'm a business owner. I own property. I did everything you've asked of me and you gave me nothing. You know, I was going to ask, what type of message do you think it sends that, you know, this business was treated like this? But I think of a situation where I was speaking on a panel at one point talking about filmmaking and creativity. And at this point, I hadn't made a film, but I knew that that was where it was going to go eventually. The other filmmakers on the panel talked about where you could see their films. Me, I said, well you know, if you want to see my work, go to Red Rocks and you'll see it at the big screen. And in a couple years, you'll, you'll see me come out with the film. The moderator turned around, he looked at me, looked at the audience and said, don't hold your breath on that. Don't hold your breath on that film happening. I have no idea where that came from, especially because I'm a panelist up there with other filmmakers. You know, he's seen my resume along with everybody else, but I'm getting singled out as a person. Yeah, that's not going to happen for that girl. Why? Why am I not seen in that role? You know, and it just feeds into to a lot of struggle. I felt like I've had just breaking out as a filmmaker, um, as an African-American woman and not even just um, just a filmmaker, just just trying to find producer jobs. You know, I just mm. feel a lot of times people don't see me no matter what I do, no matter what's on my resume. So I don't know. I know that this is actually nothing that came as a surprise to me as an adult because my very smart mother <laughs> let me know as a young one that 
you are going to have to work harder and you're going to have to be better to even be be recognized. You know, you need that college degree. There's a lot of people that do what I do without the college degree and they're doing better than, than me. But I needed that, that extra credential to say, no, 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 I, I got the, the education. So I wonder if, Courtney, if you had this talk as well, like if this talk was ever something that your parents had with you, or if this is like a feeling that you've ever felt as well, you know what I mean? Do you relate to Jamal when he says? 100%. Okay. See, it comes from a different lens though. My parents okay. are immigrants, you know, and I didn't know I was a black man until I was in high school, you know, because we weren't raised. Black is some, an invention in the U.S., you know, black and white, yes. you know, and so yes. when you come here, it's just we're trying as an immigrant family, we're trying to forge a, a, a something here in the U.S., this great land where we can become something. So my father always said, your last name is Russell. I need you to be emblazoned in some concrete somewhere one day. And I didn't mean necessary. That's going to happen. You know, so I was raised not as a a black man. I was raised as an immigrant with the last name is Russell, you know, and so I always had to be better. You know, there was never, if I got a 95, there was never a time where I got a pat on the back. I should have had a 98. I should have got a hundred because lives are on the line. You know, my father is, is, that, is damn near killing himself to make sure that we can be here as immigrants and you have the audacity to allow somebody to beat you. And so today as an entrepreneur, I, I like Emily knows this, like I laugh things joke a lot but when we're talking about other podcasts there is none other when we're talking about other businesses there is none other you know and i have aligned myself with emily to to do this podcast because i i felt that from the jump so now that i'm fighting this fight towards activism as a black man in america and seeing myself as such this is why i've, I've always had to use my mind in a, in a creative way because i couldn't fight my way out of a lot of issues because i was always the smallest the shortest you know, so I had to use my head. And so now as a, as an adult, how are we going to get the results? I don't have time to just make you feel good with a speech. I have to create options. You know, I have to make sure that we can walk towards freedom in a certain way where it can show, like, I don't care about you feeling good. If I tell you, rah, 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 let's do this. That's F the police. You can't. And right now, F the police is not going to get any more of us to a place where we got to go. I have to create a situation where we t start talking about policies. We have to start talking about Jamal and his entrepreneur exploits. What is it going to take for him to be seen as as important as the wine bar? Why is the wine bar much, much more important than his barbershop? Those are the questions that we should be asking and not just being emotional. And I understand why, as people of color, we're emotional. But now is the time, the, the days of Martin being emotional, give you a great speech. Malcolm, give you a great speech. All these other orders giving you great speeches. Those days are done. What are we going to do? What's going to happen now? You know, because COVID brought up so many things for people of color. And as a doctor, I, I it, it hurts me to my soul that now people are seeing the inequities and disparities of the culture. You know, so it's, it's deeper than why couldn't he have had his place there? And why can he feel welcome? What What is feeling welcome? We've never felt welcome here in America. Feeling welcome, I don't even know what that feels like. You know? And so mm -hmm. my, my, my form of therapy is laughter. You know? It's not that I'm happy. It's that the 
only way I'm going to get to this is if I, I'm delusional enough to smile and try to figure out a solution through this, through these smiles, you know? And so feeling welcome to me, like, what is Jamal going to have to do to feel welcome? That is a question that Jamal is going to have to work through. And I have dedicated my life to sit down with Jamal and come up with those options so his barbershop can have equity in the, in the Boulder community too, you know? So that's where I am now. And this is why Humanized to me is groundbreaking because I want to start the conversation towards equity, towards inclusion, you know? And so, yeah, hopefully I didn't give too much, but I get passionate about this, man. Emily knows, man. Yeah, no, nah, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. And I want to tell you, um, you know, you read in my bio, the impact that I feel media has. Okay. And you've seen it in the civil rights movement when people saw what was going on in the streets, how that actually started to get some movement because white people were starting to realize, oh, this is happening. Well, what can we do to actually help to move this along? And that you know, helped when they were supporting role. Um, and even with, um, with George Floyd, everybody being trapped in their homes and able to actually see what was happening, you know, um, oh, this is real. So hearts and minds get involved with the emotion and what happened, but then the action needs to happen after that, you know, exactly. So, exactly. so absolutely. Marching is great. You know, protesting mm-hmm. is great, you know, and I, I need to be in a position where, the marching that that feels good. I want to come into. I want to be in D.C. You know, I want to be making legislation. Yeah. I want to be sitting down with senators talking about these issues because marching makes you see an issue, mm-hmm. and and it's and it serves a great purpose. It's like a movie. You know, yeah. people like to be sideline activists. You know, Facebook activists. You know, and and I'm not coming from a place where I'm a, a judgmental place. You know, but I just know my role in this fight cannot be voyeuristic it cannot be mm-hmm. I, I just can't watch it no more i have to either put my life on the line as far as speaking truth to power being willing to create options or you gotta shut the fuck up man because we're with like george floyd is yes is a, is a prime example like his family it felt good that where everybody was marching but what now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's very just demonstrative. And, you know, being there at the march on Pearl Street, you know, it was, um, yeah, it was great to see. But, you know, I turned to my friends like, well, is this is going to be a flash in the pan, though, because that's usually mm-hmm. what it is. Like, how are we going to keep this this going, this energy going, yeah. you know, but I, I absolutely agree with you. It's not enough to be moved by what you see or to have a voyeuristic view, but yeah, you need to get out there and figure out how you are going to do it. And which is why I really, uh, I really appreciate your podcast and just the honesty that comes out from both of you on your perspectives. And, you know, me where my best comfort zone is, is behind the lens and documenting what I'm seeing and collecting these stories and finding ways to organize them and and, and put them through, you know, so everybody needs to find their ways that they're going to, um, to help, you know, and it doesn't have to look like your friends or, you know, mine or yours, but I agree. Get off the seat. Yeah. I'm really struck by, so there's this, this clip. I think it's probably in the trailer too, of right before the police were called. Is it, Zaid? Yes. Zaid. On him and the the person, I guess, who called the police was yelling, like, I'm just trying to figure out if you belong here. 
And that then you follow that up with, you know, Jamal's clip of like, I did everything you asked me to. And there's just this sense of, um, I don't know, I'm just really struck with this, this sense of like, and I don't know if this is everywhere. I'll just speak in, in bolder, but of the, like, do you really have to prove your, that you belong somewhere? And like, do you have to, to fill out that, those, um, credentials to, to fit in? And, um, it's like, it's painful to hear that. Um, because when I, you know, when I reflect on that for me and how I was raised, there, there's this very familiar sense that I've, I've gotten in uncovering white supremacy, which is just kind of this like vague blankness of like uncategorized experiences. Cause it's, it's again, not something that's not on my radar. Like when I, when I moved to Boulder, even as like a female entrepreneur, there have not very been very many times where I felt like I felt like I had to prove myself to myself. I felt like I wanted to make my family proud. When I've traveled internationally and lived in other countries, I felt like I had to prove myself in a certain way, but not in a town that I would consider my hometown. And it again, like there, it just seems like this endless, you know, in Peggy McIntosh's words, this endless invisible backpack of energy that's then freed up of comfort for me as a white person that's freed up to then use and invest in, in other ways. Cause I don't have like a particular consciousness around that for myself or that for other people, unless I like turn to and listen, you know? And like, I feel like that's where story and film is so important is to create that movement to turning to and listening. I'm so excited for your film to come out and see what the community does with it, you know, like where, going from those marches and people are riled up to like, I mean, to be honest, I've sent out a couple emails trying to get support for your film and I haven't gotten any responses. And I'm like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. Like everyone wanted to be on board and aligned with social justice. And now when it's like, okay, you're going to have to risk yourself to create a space for these conversations to happen. And no, we don't know where these conversations go. When it, Courtney and I hit record, we have no idea where the conversations are going to go. <laughs> you know? And the, when we listen to a podcast, we're like, oh, we said that? Like we, <laughs> But I think that that's like um, that curiosity and willingness to open up those spaces is such an important part of this next step as we get to formulating those next policies, you know, like that's like the in-between of like, okay, we can't keep addressing the same situation with the same mindset. So then we'd have to have these conversations to then expand and disrupt. And then we can look at the policy. So I just feel frustration on, on that end of like move past the performance, you know, this actually just makes me, kind of want to go to another clip that I have which which really speaks to that if you really had the good intention you'd step back and let us lead and then you would play a supporting role so 
We don't only want our film to just talk about what we all know is going on. We actually want to uh, give suggestions on what to do, where we should move forward from here. And I feel like this clip really speaks to what you just said, Emily, and a lot of what you're saying too, Courtney, I mean, about things that are more demonstrative or performative. And then when it comes down to it, the change it's not really there. So I want to give you another example. I'm big on anecdotes here. Okay. Hello. Great. Uh, me too. Great, great, great. <laughs> okay, good. I have a friend. Uh, he's great. He is more than an ally. I'm going to call him an accomplice. He has donated to Sean King, Black Lives Matter. He, whenever I need help with anything in my business, he's, he's always there, generous with it. So called me one day because he is trying to put together a, a, a theater group and with a team. He's trying to put together a theater group and he put out an audition and only white people have responded to the audition. So he calls me like, what am I supposed to do? We want diversity, but nobody is auditioning for these roles as a person of color. Well, go out and find them. <laughs> is what I told him. Well, that seems like that's a lot of extra because we're not doing that for everybody. We're not doing that for the white people. So why would we have to go an extra mile and do it for the black people? I'm like, okay, well, you know, it's interesting to me how much you try to to do to try to uplift um, black folks, but now you're in a spot where you can actually make a difference, where you can, uh, where when they're saying do the work, that's what they mean. You can't tell me it's going to be too hard uh, to go out and find other black actors. No, if you want diversity, if you truly do, you're going to go out and look for them and find them in whatever resource and not always just asking me, go out and figure it out yourself. You know, I'm going to help him because I'm his friend, but mm. that's the thing. It was this blind spot. And I was really surprised that this blind spot was there because we hear people say, do the work, do the work all the time. But when it comes down to it, I don't, I don't know. Things kind of seem to dissolve when it's, mm -hmm. yeah, when it's right in front of them. So mm. yeah, that was something I wanted to say. So for, for me, that what, what brings that up, um, what comes up for me is safety versus uncomfortable. You know, mm -hmm. um, people like to say this is the same thing. Like, for me, being unsafe is I go outside and get trampled by an elk. Okay. I mean, I, I, I just experienced an unsafe situation. Being uncomfortable is this work that we're doing. It's not something that um, people love to hear, but it's not unsafe though. Now, are you willing to give up the uncomfortability that you may be looked upon in, in a different way for what you know is right? Are you cool with being exactly. uncomfortable? moving from voyeurism to actual work that that's that's where i, I think it, it is about the work that we do is like everyone mm -hmm. wants to 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 make sure they know what's right everyone knows right slave on the new world was right but it starts to become uncomfortable when you start touching my pockets you start touch economically like i'm not gonna help them black people when now i'm gonna be poor you know, that's that's I, I can't do that. It always comes back to a question. Are you willing to risk what's uncomfortable for what's right? That's just it comes down to it for me, you know, and so. But, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Are you 
that's what you have to wrestle with yourself, you know, but um, mm-hmm. it, that's what brought it for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've had, I've had interesting experience lately with getting reactions from people listening to this podcast about, um, I've been meaning to touch base with you about this, Courtney, and wondering, <laughs> I don't know, maybe this is the right space to bring it up. Maybe it's not. But um, there's been a lot of things that have been saying that I feel uncomfortable saying, like just admitting, you know, whether it's talking about um, like just admitting, basically confessing my privilege, bringing attention to things and, and, and vocalizing it that are uncomfortable for me. And I am concerned about Courtney, your reaction and, and, you know, whether, you know, saying that, uh, yeah, there's a couple different things that come to mind, you know, like on one episode, I said, you know, I'm not willing to die for this, you know, for social justice. Like I'm not in that place. I'm, you know, my kids come to mind and I'm getting pushback from white friends, like, like kind of a tone of like, you really shouldn't be saying that that's insulting to admit your truth. And I can't, I can't sort that out. I'm like, who is that? Is that uncomfortable for you as a listener? Is that resonating with your truth that you wouldn't say to someone else? I don't know. Like, in some ways, I don't, you know, because I'm so conflict avoidant. I don't want to be in a situation where if I say to you, Courtney, you know, like, I know your sister had to have a talk with her son about the police. And that's a talk that I've never had to have with my kids. And, you know, I don't want to have that with my kids. Is that uncomfortable for you to hear that discomfort that I experience? Or is that like what I've heard from some of our BIPOC listeners is like, it's affirming to hear you like finally acknowledge that that's the truth. I hope I'm making sense. I'm kind of just, no, you no, no, you are. I love the truth. You know, I love the fact that this is why I work with you. You know, if you were on here saying that everything is great, I'm colorblind, um, I'm willing to die for this, and 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 that wasn't your truth, I would be like, yo, I, I'm not going to work with you. I don't even want to talk to you. You know, like, because there's going to come a time where we're somewhere, we're doing something, and all I have is my name. All I have is my, my reputation. You know what I mean? I, I feel I'm, I'm, I'm a leader, you know, and I need to leverage everything I have, including my reputation to save lives. And a, and a person who that I'm working, I'm partnering on a project is, is lying. That's a reflection on me, you know, and I, I mm-hmm. couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. You know, I remember for you to say that you're not in a place where you're willing to die. Of course I am in that place. Mm-hmm. There. You mm-hmm. know, um, it's, it's not a, it's not even a question for me. If someone happened with me, you were out somewhere doing something and something happened to you, I would die for you. I, not, a, not even a question to ask, you know, because I, I love the human race and that's what I fight for. I've sacrificed everything in my life for progression and liberation and freedom up until my life, you know? And so with, like we say in the hood, when it's time to show up, it's going to have a time when you have to show up. And if you don't now, from that day on, you're bullshit. And I'm not, that's not me. I, I don't know anything but truth. And so if mm-hmm. if you were not as open with your insecurities and because I have insecurities, you know, um, I have vulnerability, I have blind spots, I have ways I need to grow. And if you were saying that, yes, I am 100% ready to go and do this, I, I'm looking like, yo, come on, Emily, stop, stop bullshitting, man. Like we can't mm-hmm. have a, we can't have a podcast. We can't have a conversation. We tell people, let's talk about it. And my, and the person, 
who I'm aligning with, even truthful with her her situation, we can't we can't continue this. And I mm-hmm. I close it. I close it right there. So safety, again, it goes back to safety, uncomfortable. And a lot of people love to judge from their perspective. I can't do it, so you can't either. I am uncomfortable mm-hmm. for you, so you must be uncomfortable too. Courtney, why would you do this? You know that's crazy. No, it's crazy for you. It's not crazy mm-hmm. for me. I'm the most sane person I know. You know, mm-hmm. but it's on the outside, it's crazy. But you're doing some crazy <laughs> stuff. You well, what are you doing? You know, so I, I it's all perspective. Right. And if your perspective doesn't align with mine, you have that right. But I'm not gonna change for who I am and who I'm fighting for because you don't agree with what I am fighting and who I'm fighting for. And so, I mean, you you know. A lot of people don't like what we're doing and who we what we stand for. Emily, you saw mm-hmm. that. I'm mm-hmm. just looking at you like, all right, cool. That's that's great. Have a great have a good day, man. I'm not gonna go back and forth with you. Let's talk. Right. You know? Right. And I wanna add, you know, uh, you know, it took me a while to get back to you about getting on the show. That's because I really, <laughs> I really had to do some research, you know. Uh, you were the first face I saw and it Emily, and it was like, okay, well, what is this conversation gonna be like? What does she talk about? You know, what is she saying? And it was so refreshing to listen to the podcast and to hear that the vulnerability and the honesty and whatnot. And just to, you know, if you're you know, you're calling out real situations and real things in yourself a lot of times. And I think, I think that's great because I've seen so much of the opposite and Hmm. the opposite is what is, I think, keeps holding us back in a large way uh, from real equity is that a lot of people don't even want to have the conversation. They're uncomfortable to have the conversation. And so Mm -hmm. if you start bringing up, if a person starts bringing up these things, even saying the word, you know, racism, people just automatically just start get defensive. And like, how can I make myself look like the best person in this scenario here? Or like really uh, separate myself from that type of history or whatnot. People just get so defensive. They shift in their seats and whatnot. But how we're going to solve this is to not be defensive and say, I'm not racist. How can you say I'm, or how can you say what I did was wrong? And listen and figure out how can we move forward together? You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're right. I acknowledge all the things that have happened are still happening. How do you feel? Let's move forward together. And uh, that's, that's what's important. So I guess just my main point, Emily, is I think it's great and when you say things like when you're honest, like I'm not, I wouldn't die for this because I just said the same thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a mother and yeah. my children need me, you know, while they're very little to guide them. So there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that girl. And and you guys have mm-hmm. a great show because of the, uh, the honesty that you give. So yes. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, I'm so hopeful that you're, your film can spark more of that honesty. I feel yeah. I want to add, <laughs> I want to add, like, I'm, I'm curious to bounce off a perception that I have of racism in Boulder and Boulder's like particular brand of racism, because, you know, I work with some clients in the, the DEI work that I do that are very conservative and, you know, they'll be like, no, I'm not going to feel guilty because I'm a white male. I'm not going to, you know, like, I give everyone a fair chance. And so there's like that brand of racism, (laughs) racism A. And then I feel like in Boulder where there's so much emphasis on spirituality and spiritual growth and being 
good and awakened that what I hear a lot here as I feel like it's its own little brand and maybe people in other areas of the country have heard this is like this response of like, oh, I own that. Yes, I own that. But it only gets like if you try to call out white supremacy or something, it only gets so far into someone's bones. But it's like, yes, I own that. I own that because I know that that's part of the prescription for being a good person. But I don't own that because I just felt that in my bones and in my heart. And it it feels like it bounces off people. And I don't I don't know if you found that or if that resonates with what you've experienced or, you know, I'm curious about Boulder's like particular brand of racism. Well, again, it just really feels like a lot of people are blind to it because it's something that just is not affecting them. I mean, it's just for me as as simple as that. You know, I've actually worked at a church for 10 years. <laughs> um, I run mm-hmm. the video department at a church in Boulder for 10 years. So I hear a lot of, a lot of things like, um, and not from the leadership there, but a lot of things just in passing of, oh, well, I don't see color. I see souls and, you know, different things, mm-hmm. you know, and I can see that these people are maybe trying to come from a good place, but they don't understand that it's not a good space. Again, there's that blind spot and this this disconnect because when you are only seeing us as souls and you're not seeing what's happening to us because of our skin color. Like this is a real thing. Mm-hmm. It's not something that we're making up. This is happening because, you know, because we're black. It's a very frustrating thing for me to hear, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do with it. You know, when I'm met with that type of a thought, I let people know every time that is not helpful. We need to see this and recognize this, have awareness. We need to be color conscious and we should celebrate each other for our different ethnicities and where we're all from. Um, so that, mm-hmm. and, and with that, you know, we can make a change from that, from that basis. But this whole colorblind nonsense, I mean, that's, that's not helpful at all. So. Mm-hmm. And exhibit A, when you're, Emily, you you spoke of the white male that is saying, I should not feel guilty for being a white man. And he's right. He couldn't pick and choose whether he's white or black. The the situation starts to get kind of crazy when individuals don't say, you know what, I benefit from here and I benefit in America from a system that was created to make sure I was comfortable, to make sure I feel welcome. So it's kind of my job to say, I'm going to use this privilege because privilege is not when individuals say, you know, you have white privilege, they're not cussing your mama out. Like there is not a bad thing. You, you were born with privilege, just like you couldn't have chosen when to be born, what time were you going to be born? You weren't there with your mom and daddy when it was doing the thing to get you here. So how do you feel as though it's your fault when at the end of the day, you are a white male at that point, you need to recognize though. The awareness should be leveled in your mind to say, I am a white man. I have certain things that will never affect me. So it may be my job to address them in a way that can make it equitable for all. So that's where I think the issue is. Not just the fact that you're a white man. Nah, Mm -hmm. that's not the problem. Mm -hmm. As we're wrapping up here, I think probably a lot of our listeners uh, would like to know how they can support your work, um, where they can see your work, what the next steps are, how, yeah, how can they be involved? 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, this is not who we are. We have a website uh, where you can go in and learn a little bit more about the film, the characters, all the different filmmakers. And, you know, there's also an area to donate, which would help us to get this film done even faster and make it even better. Okay. Um, Yeah. We've all just kind of been like, putting all of our little resources together and then we realize that hey maybe it looks like there's people who want to get behind this and we can make this even better than we ever imagined so that's what the the trajectory that we're on as well so and i also have my own business black cat video productions i have a website of the same name please check me out because i do i've pretty much done everything in this industry even wardrobe Mm -hmm. so you know Yeah. So, and I love, I love to talk about media and I love to network, you know, um, I'm big on film festivals. I I hope to be Mm -hmm. in one soon with, uh, this is not who we are just to, um, yeah, just to have more, more presence of, of films of this type of content. You know, I think it's important. So, uh, yeah, that's how you can find me. And also, um, Landlock Films, I want to um, give a shout out to them. John Tweedy and Barrett uh, Strong, who are also my film partners, I'm doing a lot of work to get this film made as well. So, mm-hmm. okay. oh, this is so incredibly important. I love that you're focusing on Boulder and I am dying to see the whole film and hear the responses and hear the community dialogue that's prompted from it. I'm just super excited to be in the room. So, and I hope it's a physical room, not a virtual room, but who knows? (laughs) Wouldn't it be glorious? Wouldn't it be glorious? Fingers crossed. What what a time to come out with the film, right? So Yeah, that's perfect. Right. Right. Well thank you so, so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you you so much, Katrina. I appreciate you. Thank you for everything you're doing. Much love. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you all as well. Courtney and Emily, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Humanize. Please remember to like and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Join us on Instagram or Facebook to continue this conversation at The Humanize Podcast. Let us know if you want to learn more about the professional trainings we offer. And of course, tune in next time as we continue the work. Thank you and much love.